Amen. Church, go ahead and have a seat. If you have a Bible, uh, get it open. We're off and running this morning, 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. As I mentioned, we've got a new little thing we do on the Bible app. If you're interested in that and you want to follow along that way, uh, you can open your YouVersion Bible app, go to More, okay, and from More you click Events, and there you should see New Vintage Church SD. Um, we're going to turn the lights up here in a second so you can see. Uh, and then there we go. And um, so you just click on that, and then you go to events, you click New Vintage SD, and the, basically the, uh, uh, the outline and the thought pattern for the morning pops up along with the texts. Uh, all I ask of you is turn off your notifications so that this time is uh, sacrosanct. It's something that is uh, just, you're here fully present, ready to hear what God might have to say to you um, this morning. Uh, we're off and running. The grand project is still chugging along, and I just want to ask you to continue to pray for me, for our leadership, uh, to continue to stay positive. Everything's just going. It's going. So uh, we're moving along. Uh, this church is going big places. It's going big places. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the future of our church. Uh, and so I invite every one of you to join us. If this is your first time to church here at New Vintage, welcome. If you're first time back maybe in a while, going back to school, it's kind of like going back to the gym at New Year's, something like that for you, you're welcome. If you're one of our old crusty veteran members here, we love you too. You're, we're glad you're here. Yeah, man, we got a lot of those apparently. So here we go. <laughs> uh, I want to talk today because this series is really all about how we can behave and act and live in ways that allow us to experience the well done of God. If I'm a Christian, my chief goal in this life, when I get out of bed in the morning, when I go to bed at night, I want to hear the voice of my Heavenly Father say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. And so last week we talked about just the glory of God in general and why we would even want to bother hearing that. And, and He's so majestic and so powerful, so other than we are, that the fact He would even bother with us should take our breath away, much less the opportunity to please him in some way, shape, or form. And so we ended with that refrain from, uh, from Psalm, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Today we're going to talk about making decisions. And we're going to go until I'm out of time. And we'll pick it up next week if I don't get done, okay? Um, decisions are very funny things and they're very tricky things. And a lot of them don't matter. They're kind of pithy things. And you can do this or you can do that. Imagine yourself, raise your hand if you've ever been to the Cheesecake Factory. Oh man, apparently, hey, we look pretty good for people that hang out at the Cheesecake Factory, if you're asking me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I marvel when I go there at the length and verbosity of the menu. And so one of the decisions that can come up is, okay, am I going to go with like, they have like the Chinese page, Chinese food page, and then they've got the Mexican page, and they've got the, the Cheesecake pages. Those are good ones, right? You've got all these other types of things, and you're flipping through there, and you're kind of frozen because there's so much there that you have a hard time narrowing down which one of those things you want to eat. But in reality, it doesn't really matter which one you pick, but it does freeze you. There's so much good stuff there. The reverse of that is what I'll call kind of a blank slate freeze. So this is when, like, say, you and your friend are driving around town in your car, just kind of hanging out. And they go, man, it's kind of lunchtime. You want to go get something to eat? Sure. What are you in the mood for? Oh, I don't know. You, whatever, man, just pick a place. Like, well, you pick it, you know. And back and forth you go, and what, burgers? Burgers, okay, yeah, burgers are fine. And, you know, pizza is probably better. And you guys just kind of circle around. You have nothing to work off of. There's no foundation. 
So you wander around trying to find one. Okay, that's another kind of decision. Now what you're having to eat, whether it's the blank slate or the Cheesecake Factory, is not really a huge decision. And in fact, in some ways, it's very much a first world problem. Where am I going to eat? Okay, which of the things on the Cheesecake Factory menu should I choose? That's very much a first world problem, okay? But there are decisions that matter a lot. Uh, you've known this if you've met somebody, or maybe this is you, that just has universally terrible judgment. I mean, no matter what decision it is, they just, they can't hardly get out of bed and, and, and do the right thing. They're the ones that always come up to you and go, hey man, you're never gonna guess this. You know, I've been struggling financially. I met this guy uh, at the gas station and he said he had an investment that was going to help me make a lot of money. So he asked me if I wanted to invest, and I said, yeah. So he took everything I got, and we're gonna, I'm going to be a millionaire, man. Watch. Right? Bad decision type of guy. You know what I mean? That person that just can't make good decisions. The babysitter who ignores all of the rules the parents give them and says, yeah, it'd be great to see if you can jump off the roof into the pool and clear the patio ledge. Bad judgment people, okay? Now, when you're making certain kinds of bad decisions, those don't matter either. If you make the wrong one, eh, whatever, you know? But boy, you make the wrong ones at the things that matter, and you got a problem. I made some good decisions. I made some bad decisions. I made some good ones. I gave my life to Jesus, Amen. married Emily, became a pastor, uh, became a father, and those are a lot of decisions that I hope in various ways help glorify God, but I've made some bad ones too along the way. Decisions I, I would sin instead of doing what was glorifying to God, that I would be apathetic in key moments when I, God really needed me to be passionate about something. Those kinds of decisions. Times when I chose to be curt with somebody or mean to somebody when, when I just was tired and, and, and frustrated, when I should have chosen to be humble and, and more meek, those kinds of things. Uh, Fashion decisions. I grew up in the 80s. Parachute pants. They were a bad decision. Okay. Um, but it's all right. I still, I still rock my Adidas's here. Um, those are also, those were good decisions from the 80s. What matters is really, are, am I operating, when it comes down to making decisions, am I operating in the realm of the spiritual, like the really, the really meaningful stuff of life? And how do I make those decisions? Especially when there are two things that both seem right. Or... I have to choose between two wrongs. There's really no way to do this right. Whether they're good decisions or bad decisions, when those tensions happen, how do I know that I'm making a decision that's going to earn the well done of God? You know, grace is not opposed, uh, as Dallas Willard said, it's not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You wanna, I want to hear my Heavenly Father's voice say, in this life and the life to come, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to take the life that he gave me and use it for his glory. Good, good decisions from a biblical standpoint are not accidental. You don't usually trip into one. They're very spiritual. They are not fundamentally about intelligence. They are about wisdom. So I want you to imagine that one day God shows up to you and he says, I'll grant you anything you want. You get one pick at it. I'll grant you anything you want in this life. Just name it, and it's yours. Because that's what happened to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. God appears to him in a dream, and he says, Solomon, now this is kind of this hybrid of the Cheesecake Factory and going around town with your buddy looking for a place to eat, except this is 
you only get one of these deals. And it's God himself saying, I will grant you anything you want. And so he appears to Solomon in a dream, one of these prophetic dreams, if you will, not a bad burrito style of dream. And it's, this is what happens. This is 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask it, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love uh, to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Listen to that. Humility. You made me king, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like a little kid who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your, of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. So great and numerous that they can't be counted. Give me an understanding heart. You can underline that in your Bible if you'd like or your app. So that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, His specific request in Hebrew is a hearing heart. That's what he wants. Now, the heart is not, as we use it, the place of the seat of the emotions. In the Old Testament, it's really the seat of the will. I want a discerning will. I want to do right. I want to want to do right. I want a hearing heart, he says. So his request for wisdom pleases God, and God says, absolutely, it's yours, my man. And because you didn't, ask for the usual. And then he cites the usual. This is in the passage just right after. He says, because you didn't ask for long life, wealth, or the death of your enemies, apparently that's what we always ask for. Maybe this is not the first time God's done it with somebody. (laughs) What do you... What did you ask for? Because you didn't ask for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, you get all that too. It's kind of the first very clear example of seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. The good decision of decisions. You get one wish. God will grant it to you. What do you pick? What do you pick? He chooses well. Right there, and I'm going to suggest to you this morning, and in a little bit next week as well, that the way that you make sound decisions is you'd make the first one well. And when you make that particular decision well, what's that? Where's your heart going to be? What do you really want in life? What's your life going to be about? If God showed up and gave you one wish, would it be to have a heart that is fully devoted to your son, heart, mind, soul, and strength? That's what I want. Would that really be it? Because if so, there's a better chance that the other stuff's coming your way. If you choose the other stuff, okay, then it makes it a lot harder for you to make good decisions going forward. If I'm about something else, then all of a sudden, all of the decisions that follow it get more and more difficult, and I'm more and more likely to turn into bad decision guy or bad decision gal. So Solomon ends up with all the other stuff in part because his request pleases God. And so when we say yes to God, and that's the decision of decisions, and you say yes to him every day, the question of your existence is not, should I choose this or that, but what would God want me to do? 
Or what is the wise decision in the sight of God? Or God, give me a hearing heart, to use Solomon's language, so that I can understand what your will is here. Because God usually blesses those who decide according to his will rather than theirs. Let me say that again. God usually blesses those who decide according to his will rather than their own. The foundation of good decisions is to will his will. And his will is not usually as difficult to discern as we make it out to be. God does not go out of his way to try to hide what he wants from us. So here's an example, Psalm 32, 8 and 9. Listen to what the Lord says. Kind of an odd passage, really. The Lord says, I love the first part, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Aww. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse. (laughs) Or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So he's saying, I will guide you. Don't be a donkey. It's kind of an interesting way to, to, he has a way with words, our God does. He says, don't be like somebody that I have to grab by the bridle and move. What's he saying? I am trying to lead you somewhere. Your job is to allow me to do it without fighting me. Because I will guide you down the path that is the best possible path for your life. But don't fight it. You may remember uh, Saul on the Damascus Road. Uh, He's persecuting the church. Uh, He is uh, killing Christians, leading the charge. God shows up to him on the Damascus Road, and what the voice of God says, Saul, Saul. Anybody remember what comes next? It is painful for you to kick against the goads What is a goad? It's like a sharp stick you use to get an ox or something to go in a particular direction. Saying, Saul, I'm trying. He he has in his mind where he would like to lead Saul. He sees the apostle in Saul, who will become Paul. And he says, it is painful for you to kick against the goads. Or to quote God, don't be a mule. Saul, Tim, now, so saying after, once I say yes to God, then where do I go? Okay, I've said yes to God. God, just show me where. Now what? I'm going to make the case that Scripture makes, which I think is you start with Scripture. Because it is the revealed will of God. So we don't need to seek to make decisions uh, that are based on God's uh, unrevealed will, if you will, without looking at his revealed will. Let's say one night, as you got little kids, you, you, you decide, you know what, babe, it's our anniversary, let's go out and get a babysitter, we're heading out for the night. And so you get one of our, our brilliant, talented, awesome NBC teens to come watch your kid, okay? And you go out, and before you go out, because you haven't left them home a whole lot, you, you get out a sheet of paper and you say, all right, uh, Bedtime is at 9 o'clock, so they tend to, this is their little thing. They, they grab this little stuffed animal, and then they go in there, and they do, you know, uh, their thing, and then they go to sleep. So just go in, have, say a little prayer with them, put them to bed. Uh, there's some macaroni and cheese already made in the refrigerator. You can heat it up, preheat the oven to this, uh, put it in the, in the oven, and it'll be ready whenever. Uh, they like to uh, hear this particular bedtime story before bed. So, Let's just say, now our, our NBC teens would never do this, okay? But let's just say that, that that happens and our NBC teens decide 
you know what? Let's just forget what they said. Let's just take that little sheet and, and put it away. And they wandered around your house throughout the entire night wondering when they're supposed to go to bed and what they're supposed to eat and what the kid's supposed to do and why they have to sleep with that certain stuffed animal. But I just don't understand. How could they leave me so poorly equipped for this? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that God would reveal to me when this kid should go to bed. They just toss what the parents already told them. And then wander around wondering what they're supposed to do. I've been in ministry for north of 20 years now. And there are very, very, very few cases where a person has come to me in a personal crisis. And there really is nothing in the Bible that would give them any guidance. Well, so one of two things happens. They're either unaware that it's in there, or they know darn well where it is. They just don't want to listen to it. And so they want me to guide them in a different path. And in that case, my role is to say, don't be a mule. It is to say, get back over here. God has already spoken on this. No joke, I've told you this story before. I had a person who had been in ministry, it was a female who had been in ministry, came to me wanting to know what I thought God's will was. She had fallen in love with a guy that, that she was working with and was thinking about leaving her husband and children for this other guy, and she had no idea what God wanted her to do. And I'm sitting there going, of all people, you are familiar enough with this. You know what he says. You know what he says. Well, I just don't understand. How would God want me to put my schedule together? You probably know that. It means God goes first. That's what it means. Well, how, what would, I just don't understand. You know, I've had this, this windfall of money. I just don't know what to do with it. You know what to do with it if you're a Christian. You know. You know. See, when you say yes to God, then that decision solves a lot of the other decisions. Right? It's not a big mystery. Oh, if only I knew. Well, you know, does God want me to preach from the Bible or not? You know, I mean, just think about how dumb these decisions sound up in heaven. God must be going, excuse me. I mean, what is the matter with you? I wonder if God wants me to be faithful to my wife or if, if the reason that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling all these feelings for this coworker or something like that is, is because God's trying to lead me toward that person. Are you crazy? You know what I'm saying? At some point... The church plays a role as the harbinger of truth. The person who simply says, don't be a mule. Listen to your heavenly father because he's trying to guide you down the best path for your life. So we get into this. We, what we often do is we take this book. This is a Bible for people who don't know what this is. All right? This is a Bible. It smells good. It's made of genuine leather. It smells like a baseball glove. That's why I got it. This is handmade. Somebody's garage. Ooh, that smells good. Now, so we often will, <laughs> we will exchange that book for some other books. So I have a couple of examples of how we do this. Uh, these are two great books from my childhood, great children's book series. I commend them to you and your children as well. Okay, this is The Abominable Snowman from the Choose Your Own Adventure series. Anybody read any of these books when you were a kid? They sold 250 million copies until Harry Potter came along. They were number one, okay? And it says at the bottom, choose from 28 endings. That's cool. 
not going to lie. And what's great about these is you open them up and you start reading and it basically gives you a decision. Go that way or go that way. You can turn to that page or that page. And so you're like, okay, I'll turn to that page. You turn to that page and it's like, you're dead. Oh, man, you know. But you go back. <laughs> and so, like, like here's this, uh, page 29. This is a you, di you died page, okay. Uh, you and your guide head downstream. You find the poachers. Killing tigers and elephants for their skins and tusks is a serious crime in Nepal. They don't believe in leaving evidence of their activities. You tried running away to the forest, but the poachers are quick. They don't leave any witnesses. At the end, aww, they're dead. So what you do is you go back to the page before. This is how you cheat at this. You back up and go, oh, I'm going to take the other path then. And you kind of keep going until you reach one of those that you're dead either way. But you can spend a long time in one of these books. It was a genius concept, whoever came up with it. It really was, okay? And there are people who make decisions like that. They think... I can make that decision, even if it kills me, or the people around me, and I'll just start over. No consequences. There is a virtual, endless path forward. Now, I'm distinguishing this from, uh, you know, the forgiveness that you can find in Christ. I'm talking about the consequences of the actions we take. So I can go blow my life up, and if that doesn't work out that well, then I'll just rewind the tape to the last page. I'll say, you know what? I'll just try again. I'll do a different one. And they think that that's what happens. So they don't take enough care in the decisions they make. Then you have Encyclopedia Brown. Anybody read these growing up? The boy detective, man. Sharp dude. Sharp dude. So a book full of cases, three pages a chapter. He can't be beat. You can't stump Encyclopedia Brown. His mom named him Encyclopedia, right? <laughs> I love Encyclopedia Brown. But you go through the whole case, and he figures it out every time. And so what you think if you're an Encyclopedia Brown Christian is, if I get smarter, if I think about this long enough, the answer will be clear. And all your faith is here. So we've got the adventure stuff, right? Uh, I'm going to go do, I'm just going to try this. Stick a fork in the light socket and see what happens. Choose your own adventure. Oh, I died. Okay, here we go. I'm careless with my, with my decisions. This is rationale. It's, it's, I have faith in my own wisdom. I am smart enough to make this decision. What, do you think I'm stupid? I don't need any of that Bible stuff. That hocus pocus. That stuff, it doesn't matter if the author of life himself gives it to me. Meanwhile, the scripture is saying, don't be a mule. God is trying to take you somewhere. He's leading you. Go with it. He's good. He's taking you forward. And if you've said yes to God at the beginning, okay, that's not supposed to be a one-time thing on one day of your life. It's a moment where you commit yourself, you give yourself fully to the activity, the work of God in this world, and then you know what you do? Every day, that frames it. Every day is a decision to say yes to God. And your day starts that way, your decisions are framed by that yes. Our most important decision is the first one. Say yes to God. And the next is, if you will, to understand the game plan, if you will. Uh, Larry Osborne over here at North Coast wrote a great book called 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And one of them was God has a blueprint for your life. 
So when it comes down to, okay, what should I do? What does God want me to do? There's two ways that you kind of look at this. One is the blueprint method, right? God has a very specific blow-by-blow, minute-to-minute, everything there is a plan for everything you do. God wanted you to eat grape nuts this morning. Uh, God wanted you to wear blue. God wanted you to put cream in your coffee or not. God, what, you know, very rigid, blueprinty, specific kind of thing. Okay. What, what Larry argues, and I think he's exactly right from a biblical standpoint, is that God doesn't do blueprints. He does game plans. It's very different. Game plan is more of a general trajectory. Hey, uh, we're playing the Raiders today, and therefore, I want you to go, we're going to throw the ball today. And so we don't run across the line before the ball's hiked. We don't uh, face mask people. We don't do these kinds of things. But this is overall what we're trying to do. It is, I want you to follow my son day by day without saying, here are the kind of flip-flops you're going to wear as you follow him. Here's the whatever as you follow him. Now, that's not to say that God never gives anybody specific instructions, but there is a very, very important difference. The downside of blueprints. Imagine what would happen if God's will for our life was like that. Detail down into the parking space that he had set aside for you just this morning, right outside. What if you missed it? And if you missed it, maybe that was somebody's spot that you pulled into. So now not only did you mess up, you caused that person to stumble in the sight of God because you're in their spot. Or what happens if in a moment of spiritual rebellion, so to speak, uh, Joe Christian dates and marries the wrong person? You know, some people would say, well, God won't allow that to happen. Well, then, then we don't have any kind of free will. We're all puppets on strings, right? That's not really what the Bible teaches. If he does allow it, then maybe Joe Christian might have just put the entire world in a jam with that one mistake. The poor girl that he was supposed to marry is stuck. Her blueprint's ruined. The same guy that uh, maybe was supposed to marry her, he's, his whole plan's ruined because you ruined her plan. And now marriages all over the universe are off track forever because of one guy's mistake. So this is the, and I'm saying this a little bit in jest because I, this is something that people really, really think passionately about. That there's one person for you. Okay, maybe. But, what if you're wrong? Uh-oh. Some of you are going, yeah, I was wrong. Don't do that out loud. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't elbow your spouse, okay? I'm not saying, I want to be very clear about this. I'm not saying that God never has a specific plan for people. Here are a few examples. He tells Hosea to go marry Gomer. He tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. He tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. He tells Jeremiah to go to a potter's house and tells him to watch for an object lesson. He challenges the Apostle Paul's itinerary, and he forbids him to go into Asia and Bithynia. Okay, but those kinds of instructions, okay, they do happen, but they are exceptions. They are not the norm, even in the life of biblical heroes. Okay? A much bigger issue from God's standpoint is whether or not we follow his plan once we know what it is. Doing God's will is what pleases him. That's where you get the well done. Not on understanding his will. I mean, it's great, right? If understanding somebody's will was everything, that'd be great, right? 
My daughter's 16. Hey, Anna, I need you home by 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Okay, Dad. Never comes home. She understood, though. I mean, after all, I told her, 10 o'clock, right? And all she has to do is understand to make me happy. Of course not, right? It's all in the obedience piece. It's all in my willingness to not just comprehend what God is saying and what his will might be, but then to go forward and do it. See, even prophets of God can rebel against him. You remember our good friend Jonah? Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, thanks. Go anyway. No. Now, at this point, you hear the don't be a mule chant in the background. Jonah then decides he's going to flee. He gets a boat ticket. He heads in the opposite direction. God gets a whale, intercepts him, uh, gulps him down, barfs him up after Jonah repents, and he ends up going anyway. All right? But there is a big difference between the game plan versus blueprint kind of idea. Uh, I remember this happened not just one time. This happened several times. Some version of this happened to me when I was in campus ministry. A young man or a young woman would come in to my office devastated at the breakup that had just taken place. They broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend that they thought was the one. and They'd been together for eight whole days or something, okay? <laughs> and here they come in, and she, well, I'll, just, I'll just be her for a second, okay? You know, and she comes in, and she's like, I thought he was the one, and I, you know, sobbing in my office. And I'm like, okay, uh, hold on, you know. And, God, and then in the guys, a lot of times I would get the, uh, it was God's will that she and I be together. And they were convinced that because she broke up with him, that she was living in active rebellion against the will of God. Yeah, she really missed out on that one, right? You find, yourself, <laughs> you, do, you find yourself going, oh man, are you kidding me? Like, is it, it's that. No, she's the one because God told me. How? Did he tell you? I, I just know. You just know. Okay. Uh, did you get that out of Choose Your Own Adventure? Or Encyclopedia Brown? Because uh, he didn't get it out of here. So where did that come from? You see, when we go with the blueprint idea, and we kind of divorce ourselves from Scripture, then... Almost anything's fair game. And so I want to ask the question this morning, does God have a blueprint for your life? Which is different than saying, does he know what your life is going to turn out like? Yes, he does. Does he have a blueprint? Down to the parking spot, the cereal you choose, the outfit you pick out, the girl or boy you date. Well, as you start panning out on your life, you start going, yeah, maybe so. Or is it more like, the decisions that you make when you say yes to God on a daily basis please him because you're following the game plan that he's given for your life and so therefore when you get married the way you please him is not in the uh, staring at the sky long enough to see the stars align in such a way that you can tell her name's Becky and she lives in dorm A4 <laughs> that that is the point the point is actually to say if I'm saying yes to God and God is the most important thing in my life then I'm going to get married to somebody who shares the same values and who will wake up every day alongside me and say yes to God on a daily basis and we're going to serve the Lord together we're going to raise our children in the Lord together and all of that now you're getting somewhere now you're getting somewhere you're getting a lot more close to this and out of these right we're not choosing our own adventures 
We're not just relying on what we think is best rationally. Of course, use your brain. Of course, if you mess up, ask, repent, ask God to, to, to forgive you and, and, and start over as best you can. But God does not go out of his way to hide his will. I mean, think about it. People kind of show up to the book of Revelation in the Bible looking for, at it like a, like a complete and utter mystery. It's called Revelation. You can read the book of Revelation and learn some amazing things about God, but it's not written at like the matrix code that you have to spend your life figuring out what God is trying to say. There is a powerful message in that book. So if we can just embrace the thought that God actually wants us to know what his will is and not just sit up in heaven hoping we obey him, even though, yes, first you've got to figure out what my will is. You know, I'm going to go bury it over here in a haystack and rather than hearing what the word of God says, which is, no, 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 God, if nothing else, if you don't believe anything else I'm saying, try this one on. If God really wanted to hide himself, how do we explain the incarnation of Christ? Where he comes in human form to show us how to live, to make sure that our sins, our terrible decisions that we make throughout our life can be forgiven and a new path and a new day created for us. That it's not the final word just because you, you, you flipped to the wrong page and the abominable snowman died, now your life's over and, and, and just, you know, game, set, match, it's done. No, no, no. He doesn't do that. God wants you to know what his will is. He wants you to enjoy walking in his presence. He wants you to enjoy obedience. Enjoy obedience. Yes. Yes. You know what happens when you obey? Well done. Well done, brother. Well done, my son. Good decisions begin with the best decision, and that's to offer our lives to Christ. I mean, it's hard to do the will of somebody you don't know at all. It just is. We can fall into the minutia mistake with the, the Scripture, for sure, which is caring about the really small, specific stuff while ignoring the weightier matters, so to speak, of the law. It would be like me obsessing about whether or not Emily, my wife, wanted cream in her coffee while failing to love her in the most important aspects of the relationship. There are people who do that. You know, church attendance is rock solid, but they hate their enemies. They, um, you know, they read their Bibles every day, but don't care about anybody else. They don't think about how their actions impact others. Uh, they are very good parents in a particular kind of way but their kids are cult objects to them, and they've traded out the blessing of God for, and lifted them up to be God themselves. And so at every time, at every moment, every day is a journey of waking up and going, hey God, I'm going to make one good decision today, I know that, and here it is. I'm going to say yes to God again. And the moment I get out of bed, to the time I lay down, yes to God, and if you make that decision, it'll shape the other one's around you. Don't worry if God wants cream in his coffee. Think about whether or not you've given your life to his son who gave his life for you. According to the scripture, a person can't do the will of God if they don't believe in his son. To him, that's what matters the most. John 6, 28 and 29 says, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So it starts there. 
If we don't follow Jesus, we can't do God's will in our lives because we've rejected his primary will for our lives. If you don't start there, you know, you're just starting the hike at a completely different trailhead and location, and you can't get to that destination from there. But the good news is he's revealed it very clearly to us. He sent his son in human flesh to live a perfect life, die on the cross, raise from the dead, ascend to the right hand of God, returning again for us. Now, I wish, sisters and brothers, that every time we were going to make a decision, we had a lot of time to do it. By all means, if you have the time and you, and you really are seeking the will of God, take some time and pray about it. A lot of decisions, though, you don't have that kind of luxury. Uh, you're, you're in a, a sudden situation. I've got to make a decision right now. There isn't any time. You're in an emergency. You're in a, in a crisis of some kind. Um, so to be very clear, by all means, pray, okay, if you can. But it's another feather in the cap of the idea that if you live your life with God in Christ every day and you take the word of God, you put it deeply in your heart, then you can make those decisions real time uh, in a wiser, more constructive way because your life is a living yes to God. The word is deeply implanted in your heart. I don't, so therefore, if you're in one of those things where the decision has to get made, your, your snap decisions are better than if they're not. A kid came home screaming and they're upset about something and, and I've got to go just have this conversation right now. I can't say, oh, time out. Go sit in your room for an hour. I'm going to pray for a while and then I'll come in and talk to you. It doesn't work that way sometimes. So what am I going to say to a person in crisis? I need to figure out what that's going to be right now. So, so you go and, and I want, I'll speak for myself, I really want to be equipped to do a job well done in the lives of people. Or even as much as it depends on me for my own decision making, I want to make good decisions that I don't have the option of stopping. And, and so I try to stay in the word on a daily basis. I, I try to pray regularly already so that I don't try to come up with a spiritual life when I'm in crisis. I already have one, right? I don't want to be misunderstood there, but I think it is important. There's a big difference between living a lifestyle of communion with God and then trying to figure out how to commune with God when you're in crisis, even though you've ignored it the rest of, the, of your life. Doing God's will comes naturally to those who walk in it daily. Amen. Okay? Doesn't mean it's perfect. I'm just saying it comes more naturally to people who walk in the will of God daily. Uh, there are a lot of competing voices. There are imposters. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But you may remember Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil shows up quoting scripture to him. But doing it as a phony. Doing it as a way to deceive. Okay, how do I know? How do I know which is which? Right? Well, that's a decision that you have to make. But Jesus seems to know the difference. He seems to know the voice of his heavenly father. And the Spirit of God well enough. And so we'll talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit guides us through these things. But it doesn't begin with the, what you'd call the unrevealed will of God. It begins with the revealed will of God. And it really starts with that big first decision. What do you make of my son? And when you say yes to God, the rest of the decisions, including your awful ones, 
okay, are covered by the grace of God. Now, I'm going to take a real shot in the dark here and guess that somebody in here has made a bad decision recently, okay? <laughs> uh, you may have absolutely driven a dumpster truck into your life this morning. Then hear the word of God and experience and embrace the grace that he offers you in Jesus. We're going to gather around the Lord's table at this moment. And as we do, this is a moment where <clears throat> we take the bread and the cup on a weekly basis here at New Vintage, and we do it. Uh, the bread represents his body, the blood represents, or the, the cup represents his blood, and we are here to remember Jesus. And so this is an opportunity right now to, maybe if you said yes to Jesus in the past, and to recenter. Uh, if you've never... Uh, maybe, well, let's back up and say, if you've made a, just a terrible series of decisions, your life is, a, is, is in real difficulty right now. Come to the table and experience the grace of God. You're welcome at the table of the Lord. But it's an opportunity to say yes to God. To hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And to pray for wisdom going forward. So let's do that now, as we gather around our Heavenly Father's table. Lord... We love you, we worship you, we adore you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace that, uh, that we find in him. We thank you for making him your word incarnate so you could reveal yourself to us so clearly. So Father, help us to make the right first decision. That helps us make the right decisions after that. Father, help us open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Spirit through the Scriptures, the voice of the Spirit in our lives. And before we go to your unrevealed will, we ask, Father, that you create in us a passion for your revealed will, the Word and the Word made flesh. From there, Father, may we experience the joy of living in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.